Hey, 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 water coolie-ins. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. A big shout-out to our new audience members from Down Under. I was going to throw out a, uh, an Australian accent. I kind of I kind of did there, but I was going to do like this whole introduction in an Australian accent. But I thought better than insulting you, uh, this new audience, on your first episode in. So I will keep it to just that little down under. But anyways, to today's episode, we were finally able to get in for a second time, the very busy and creative Jake Merva. You can find the link to his first episode with Chris Bales, titled Tim Allen's Mugshot, in the description of this episode on our Podbean page. Uh, and then for this episode, and just the show in general, there are a few episodes that I'm uh, really proud of how they came out. Obviously, I'm really proud of every episode, and I'm so thankful for the guests that come in and the relationships that is able to grow from them doing that and us having those conversations. Uh, but every once in a while, there are episodes where I'm able to really, really connect with a guest in a way I was not expecting whatsoever. And after working on this episode, editing it, uh, just re-listening to it, it was such an amazing experience to connect with Jake in such a deep and meaningful way and just have a conversation that you can really look back on and be like, that was a good freaking conversation. And just be like, gosh, that was just, that was just good. But anyways, we built this conversation around some issues going on in the world, uh, including texting neck and the impact technology has on our bodies, aversion therapy, and then finally just having a amazing conversation on radical beliefs and how someone with radical beliefs may see the world. Definitely, definitely one of those stories where I'm still, I mean, we recorded the episode maybe a week ago, and I'm just still thinking about, I'm still thinking about that story, and obviously would love to hear your guys' opinion on that story as well. Maybe that will help me kind of open up a different way of seeing that story as what happened in the episode with Jake. So, uh, no reason to wait, so let's get to the episode. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 24, titled Radical Confidence. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Welcome back, Jake. It's been... I, I forgot to look up how long it's been, but it's been almost over a year yeah. since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, because I was here with Chris. Cooler talk with yeah. Chris. I was on your guys' podcast in like November of yeah, last like year. Yeah, November. Yeah. And then it finally came out in April. <laughs> it took some time. It took some time. Was it April? <clears throat> I it, think you guys started in April with Going Ghost Podcast. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. Yeah, that was rough because we, it took God knows how long to, I mean, I guess you can tell how long to get our theme song finished. Which is much more professional than my theme song, but I still love no, my theme song. It has no, 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 <laughs> no. That's the same the same quality. All right, let's go back to that theme song discussion. Okay. We had a little uh, <clears throat> issue here, listeners, that uh, the recording stopped, so you missed uh, Jake saying some very offensive things mm-hmm. about it was bad. Uh, the listeners here. But to the theme song, to the theme song. Right. Yours is, like, uh, like well-produced and was, like, how was that produced? We... So we found a because well first of all Danny Phantom has the coolest theme song it does it any, does yeah any TV show of all time um, and so we found a trap remix of it on um, on YouTube and 
we were like, oh, that'd be so cool. So we reached out to that person that made that and they just never responded to us. So we were like, shit, we want to use something like this, but we obviously can't. So we reached out. Oh, well, you know, we'll see. I'm using uh, Nine Inch. Nine Inch Nails? I, c- I keep forgetting the name of. I think it's Nine Inch Nails. Story of a Girl is Nine Inch Nails. I'm, I'm not. Oh, I'm, continue on. I'm going to look it up. Um, So then we reached out to a, uh, a friend of ours who makes beats, and we were like, hey, can you make a remix of the Danny Phantom theme song that's kind of like this? And he was like, sure, I'll see what I can do. And then, you know, f- four months later, we finally had something. But it was worth it. It's yeah, a very good it's great. theme song. It's, it's great. like a good, like, it makes it feel much more like you guys know what you're doing. Thank you. Which isn't always the case in, like, other podcasts. Like, you listen to it and you're like, oh, am I going to waste an hour on this? I mean. Right. Like water cooler talk, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I want people to think right off the bat. It's right. Like, Does yeah. this guy know what he's doing? <laughs> Story of a Girl, Nine Days by Nine Days. So I'm not going to correct Literally myself. Literally never heard that. of Nine Days. I feel like that's maybe the only song that they... There's like Story of a Girl novel, film. It's actually the song is called Absolutely, but everyone calls it Story of a Girl. Do they even say the word absolutely in the song? I'm sure they probably say absolutely. I don't know if they do. They're probably know. like, it's absolutely a story of a girl. Oh, that was really good. Thank you. I've been thinking about taking singing lessons to help with like my breath control for the podcast. Sure. But it also get the that benefits. That would actually be a really good idea. Also get the benefits of being able to sing. So that's what I, I really just want to stop podcasting and become a singer. Yeah, I believe in you. <laughs> All right, Jake, are you ready to jump in to the first story? I'm ready. Uh, just for the listeners at home that may be across from uh, the Danny Phantom Going Ghost podcast, there was no cold opening today, so I know oh, wow. that's a big, uh, yeah. big fact on your show that they yeah. only do a cold opening every yeah. episode. And that's maybe. that's really rare in a Danny Phantom episode. <laughs> very rare to and see. So it is also very rare in a episode of Water Cooler Talk. All right, Jake, are you ready to jump into some uh, texting skulls? Oh, some skull language. I am ready. This is from Newsweek Health. Humans have started growing spikes in the back of their skulls because of smartphone use. Uh, listeners, as you're listening, I would want you to, or like you, to press your fingers into the back of your skull. Did you check yourself? I did, this? yeah. I couldn't uh, find it. Just above the neck. So press your fingers into the back of your skull just above the neck. If you feel a small spike, you may be among people whose body has responded to smartphone use by growing new layers of bone. I don't think I have that. I don't know if it's my spine. I don't know how hard, how high up my spine goes. All that you keep reading, I have a lot of opinions on this story. Uh, I don't think I have that spike, but I would love to hear if any of my listeners do. And I'd love to get a photo of it. I could not find a photo of it. I don't know if you looked up photos of it. No, that'd be gross. The phenomenon called external occipital protuberance was initially published in the Journal of Autonomy in 2016 by health scientist David Sherhar, who in the last decade of his 20-year career began to notice that once rare protrusion more often in patients of younger and younger ages. Uh, The phenomenon was initially discovered in 1885 by French scientist Paul Broca. Shahar and his co-authors looked at 218 radiographs of the lateral cervical spine of people between the ages of 18 to 30 and found that 41% had a lump. 10% had a spike at least 20 millimeters long, uh, a growth for this has to be at least 5 millimeters long to be counted, and anything bigger than 10 millimeters long is classified as enlarged. And it was much more common to be found in men, 67% versus 20%. The buildup of bone on the external occipital protuberance is a type of anisoftites, which is a bone projection of a tendon or ligament through gradual growth and is relatively common in older people, but is quite rare in young people. 
Shahar states that their finding could be explained by the rise in the use of handheld technologies from early childhood and said ways to prevent and treat girls should be considered. He continued that as we look down at devices, our necks must work to keep our heads in place. I think a head weighs like 10 pounds, I believe. Um, and prolonged straining could lead the body to build new bone to increase the surface area holding the mass of the head. To back up his study, Shahar used another study published in the journal Scientific Reports of 2018, in which out of 1,200 participants aged 18 to 86, older people were less likely to have an external occipital protuberance? Protuberance. Protuberance. I don't know why I can't say that word. <laughs> uh, than younger individuals. Jake, should we be worried about these types of changes to the human body because of technology? This is such fucking bullshit. <laughs> I, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever read. This is such bullshit because, okay, I was reading this and I was thinking like, okay, there's something with, you know, the, the, the light rays from our phone into our eyes the way that, I don't know, I guess that's doing something. But the only reason it gives is that we hold our heads in a way that we're reading our phones, right? So it, do you, when you read a book, do you hold the book in a place that's not the same place as your phone? I also had that same thought and I like read more studies on it and it's not because we're looking down because we've always looked down like newspapers, tying yeah. our shoes, stuff like that. It's because we look down with more frequency. Like just because we're doing it periodically throughout the day? Yeah, we're doing it much more than, you know just reading a book throughout the day or not having a smartphone. But I still don't think that's the case cuz even like if you're if you're on your phone, you're holding your head at almost the same place as when you're like typing in a, on your computer. Well, I think they're kind of contributing it to technology as a whole, kind right. of um, similar to like Well, I'm, I was just saying like cuz if you if you work in office job, you would do that for like 8 hours a day. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things that, you know, I found like carpal tunnel syndrome mm-hmm. used to be very rare, but then when we got into the system of typing, it skyrocketed. Like I have carpal tunnel syndrome and I mean I cuz yeah. I work at a computer yeah. a lot. I just feel like I feel like so many of these stories like this are just using technology and like millennial culture as a scapegoat <laughs> like they're just like oh people use technology a lot yeah i guess that you know that ex- yeah. that explains testicular cancer and it's like what i used to be this is a bit of a side story i used to be ter- like one of my biggest fears in my life is not being able to have children so and i still kind of do it just subconsciously but i don't like to have my laptop, laptop on your lap on yeah, my lap yeah i remember that i remember when that was a big thing too yeah and i mean i feel okay that's a little different cuz i feel like that might actually be real cuz like it's really hot <laughs> oh, down no. there for, it's a really hot down there for a long time but like i don't know i just feel like i think our bodies are changing because of technology not at a evolutionary speed because that's just ridiculous but kind of how they explain this and kind of the research i did on this protuberance i got it right there you go is that it's not like an evolutionary hey darwin a bird needs to eat this certain certain seed so they're going to change their beak to eat that seed it's more of just like the more you bend your head down the more your like neck needs to support the weight of your head, which mm-hmm. I believe is 10 pounds. Um, so this bone strengthens up your neck kind of deal. And I know there was this example someone said about, uh, do you watch the show Archer? I have, yeah. He has like bone spurs or something in his arm. Oh, but yeah. that's like something your body responds to by having, you know, getting hit in the arm a lot. So your body responds to that stimuli. So I think, like, I think they also said, like, there's no, like, cause and effect to this. Kind of yeah. like in summer, there's more murderers. So when we eat ice cream or what was it? Do you know that? No, one? I don't know what you're talking Where it's about. like, cause there's more murders in summer. So people are like, well, the more people eat ice cream, the more murders happen. But it's like, there's no oh, cause shit. and effect. It just happens that more people are murdered in summer because yep. it's nicer out. And they said that's kind of the deal. Like, I mean, 
it could be this. Like they were very vague and yeah. connecting the two. It was like maybe it could be this, but it could not be. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I feel like the way that heads are held for like being on our phones and like with technology and stuff. I feel like it's. I feel like it really can't be that different from the way heads have been held for throughout history for different reasons. Like the way that your head might have been held when you're like shoveling. I'm sure, like, the direction of your head is pretty similar to the way that you... <laughs> Weird example. Because, like, I, that's, like, manual <laughs> no, 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 like yeah, manual yeah. physical labor, like, 100 years ago or something like that. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's really not that different. It, the only thing that's different is that you have a phone in your hand as opposed to anything else. I, I totally get that, and I totally understand where you're coming from. I just think it's a case of the frequency over the actual act of it. Like, I feel like we're just looking down more. Like, you know, you see people walking in a city. You see, like, movies from before smartphones were huge and people are heads up looking whereas I now you see a movie with people on the phone or you see a movie nowadays that the phone has been developed and a lot more people are looking down at their phone i totally get what you're saying i think it's a case of our body responding to a new frequency a new change like you mentioned the eye thing it's like i think we are living in a time where we have more bright light in our eyes so that's affecting our eyes and affecting our vision i don't think it's like a evolutionary trait where we'll develop evolutionary changes or stronger eyes or something because of technology but i do think our bodies change a bit and i don't know if it's you know to this level but i do think our bodies change a bit to technology i guess yeah i don't know i don't know about frequency because i mean i don't know i guess i don't know i've never i don't know how frequent people have done things in the past Mm -hmm. i only know how frequent people look at the and that's like yeah totally from my opinion too it's like yeah i don't i don't know i wasn't alive back then so i'm just going off of like what i think it could be and i could be totally wrong i usually am (laughs) yeah (laughs) i am not totally wrong well now you can say protuberance so now you're right protuberance now i can say it right i think the reason i came to my conclusion is i like took a look at how people respond to like i feel like i bring this up all the time because it needs to be talked about more but how people respond to social media from a chemical balance people I don't know the exact chemicals but say like you post a photo and you get a bunch of likes and you feel much better like dopamine you get more dopamine into your system and that's a effect because of technology I guess no I guess you know maybe your point is making more sense to me now because like if you took a picture of yourself and showed it to people I wonder that would be an interesting study to see like if there's a difference in dopamine levels based on posting a photo on social media getting those likes or posting a photo in real life and people saying how much they like it yeah I mean I feel like now that you now that you're agreeing with me I'm going the other way that like <laughs> I, th- I think it's different because the amount of photos posted on social media is so much higher than the amount of photos that would have been taken and developed and shown to people in real life and so it's like there's no way you could feel the amount like that happy about every single photo that you posted as opposed to like you think there's like a gradual decline in how much dopamine i think so yeah you get from like i would think so probably that's no that's very interesting i've never i guess i've never thought about that because yeah that totally makes sense and i guess even further is my point why social media is so bad because yeah the more you use it the less you're getting out of it social media social media has its social oh so far away (laughs) social media has its pros and cons i mean i think for us and the work that we do for marketing and exposure it's very important well, that's that's one of the things I thought about this. I was like, I don't, I maybe I'm not a doctor. I should let you know that. Um, okay, good. But so I don't know if I have that thing. I might, I might not. Um, but I do 
have to use my phone a lot. I do have to use a lot of technologies a lot. You know, I mentioned I had carpal tunnel because of constantly have to be on the computer and a lot of my a lot of my work is done on a computer because yeah. I work internationally. I just think that people have to be like more up to being like there's a lot of good things that come with technology, but there's also we have to like start realizing the bad things that come with it too. Well, yeah, I mean I don't even know if it's so much you have to realize the bad things. You just need to learn how to. Um, you need to learn how to use it responsibly. That's a good really. point. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily like inherently like I think I think ultimately the pros outweigh the cons for social media and like t- technology and stuff. And the cons mainly come from not abuse of power, abuse of abuse of use. I don't fucking know what that would be, but like from using it in a poor way. No, that totally like totally makes sense that we need to use it more responsible rather than looking at it as there's bad things and good things. Like just that's why I think like we need like social media classes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, we definitely But do. like I've talked about it on another podcast quality under pressure like that I feel like our generation and the generation after us are like the most fucked when it comes to like the effects of social media because we're still figuring out like what are the effects and how to be responsible. Cuz we were just like thrown in the deep end with it. We, yeah, we're we just it's basically like, here's these options to get these chemicals in your body to feel better, to feel worse, to get everything out, figure it out yourself. So I'm very interested. And also like with like, I'm trying to think about how to, how to, how to ease into this, like how to, like with the rise of like, can't like cancel culture kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, you know, where like you, you maybe tweeted something like 10 years ago and now it's coming up to haunt you kind of a thing while the things that people have said are shitty they had no idea 10 years ago that you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to post shit like that on on social media like you didn't like we were thrown in the deep end so we didn't know how to use it responsibly like i said we don't we didn't know we didn't know the long-term effect exactly yeah and so i think i think like you were saying our generation the next generation is fucked i think especially the people who like in our generation i think now they kind of have figured out what you can post and what you shouldn't post but i think prior to now i think yeah well i think it's even right now we're still in that state of we don't know in 10 years what we post now will be okay that's that's true i feel like but i think but i think now they're taught to at least think about the consequences which is good you know like they've because they've seen the consequences yeah that's a good point to be able to see what happens when people are like well, the thing I wanted to talk to you about with this story is like the kind of reliance on technology. Um, so recently, Target systems went down. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this. Yep. I was at a Target. Oh, while you were? It happened while it was I happening. was going to go to a Target, but then I heard that it crashed. And so I was like, no, I shouldn't. Yeah, I was at Target while it was happening. I thought like people, it was like the day before Father's Day. And I thought people were just like last minute shopping. And that's why I was so busy. But anyways, I just saw like technology breaking down and people not being able to rely on technology. I just saw a very interesting kind of look at what how people reacted. Like there were some people who were awesome and the Target Target did an awesome job on like handling that whole situation and people were like giving out free coffee and gift cards and like updating you every 15 minutes or so. But there were some people that were just like so pissed off at just the situation that it was just like why are you doing what you were doing? Why are you, why is this behavior becoming a thing? And I feel like, you know, to this story on, you know, does technology affect us as humans, our behavior, our body chemistry, our bodies in general with this protuberance story? You know, do you think we're too reliant on technology to point on it will take us? I mean, eventually, if technology goes away, obviously, we'll be able to evolve to a point where we're fine without technology. But do you think we are too reliant on technology now. I think yes, but I think 
that's the way that it's been throughout history with different revolutions and different things like they like you know back in the day way back in the day you know (laughs) they like people would use rocks and sticks that was it and then you know they learned how to make weapons okay well then you could say are they too reliant on weapons no that's what they used to survive and then like go further on like the industrial revolution I'm sure at that time people would say you know whoa are you too reliant on this like the invention of cars are you too reliant on cars now what let's let's pump the brakes let's go back and let's just keep using horses and buggies but now cars is like the norm and that's perfectly fine. You just need time to adjust and you need time to like figure out how to live with this new, with the changing world of technology. So like I, just, I, I want to ask you this just so I'm clear on what yeah. you're saying. Are you saying like technology is our tools of today to survive? Yeah, I think survival, I think a lot of technology is going to help us survive, but there's also a lot of things that are more for entertainment and stuff. But I think it's just, it's 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 the next revolution that's like changing the way society works. And like there have been different things that have changed how society works throughout history. And then it happens, people are like, whoa, what the fuck? And then it's fine. Yeah, I guess. And I so guess I feel like, I just yeah, feel like now on. we are still in the kind of, whoa, shit's going. Just like the like, beginning. Yeah, of like it. it's mm-hmm. just like, whoa, sh- this is crazy. There's so much happening. Yeah, that's true. Just give it some time, and then you'll get used to it, and it's fine. No, that's a very good, like, because like, I mean, like, interesting lens. Like, on even it. think about now, it's 2019. Like in the 90s, 80s, or 90s, whatever, when like the internet was invented, people lost their goddamn minds, and that was a whole big thing. And people were like, well, we, you know, we can't use it for too much. But now the internet is standard. Like now, I think that the internet itself is like more. Um, accepted and stuff I think yeah like it's more part of our daily life exactly like we're used to it and so we just need time to get used to these technological advances does that make sense am I no I, that okay. no it doesn't make any sense oh, I have good. no idea what you're talking about no that definitely that definitely makes a lot of sense on yeah we're just we're in the early stages of this technological age mm-hmm. and we still haven't going back to the social media thing we still haven't figured out the responsibilities to use it correctly and I feel like yeah it's kind of that ebb and flow of like the revolution of the industrial revolution it's like at the beginning it's like holy shit what's going on then you get it to the peak and you're like awesome this is good we know how to use it we're productive with it and then it declines and something else takes its place Um, no I think that's I think that's a very good point and I mean yeah pretty much where I fall into that is very similar i think you know we're still figuring out technology we're still figuring out the effects technology has on us but yeah it's just i think you know to hammer home your point i think we just need to be more responsible and figure out how to be more responsible and find going back to your first point on you know this not being a potential cause of technology is we just need to not always blame technology for issues. I think I even do that a lot. So this is like a good self-reflection of not blaming technology for issues. Also realizing technology brings a lot to the world. Like I'm able to have podcasts with people in Europe and Australia now because of technology. So you have to kind of, I think, I think technology is, we're still in that, whoa, what the heck is this point? But it's also, we're getting used to it. Like we're getting used to the internet and we're just so used to it being a part of our daily life that we don't notice the benefits of it. We right. only notice the negatives exactly, of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show for his second appearance, but first solo appearance, actor, writer, all-around theater artist Jake Merva of an alleged theater company and co-owner of Northern Nights Productions with Chris Bales. Uh, Jake, since we had you last on the show, you and your creative partner, Danilo Luchko, have started your own theater company, as I mentioned, an alleged theater company. What about having your own theater company inspired you to do so, or was it more or was it more of the next logical step in your life? I think it, I think it seemed more like the next logical step because I found 
around Danilo my sophomore well I mean I met him my freshman year of college but then sophomore year we created our first play together and we just worked really well we kind of clicked we got it we understood where we came from in a, from a creative sense and you're both going to school for for theater okay. theater and English yeah um, and so we're both actors directors writers we both kind of do everything and producers for the company and then senior year and like with graduation we just pr- produced a second show and then it was like well we've got a bunch more ideas of things we want to do we should just make a company and start producing shows under the company name so that we can build a reputation. And then we did. What was it about, obviously, the name? So this is, maybe I can give my experience and then question off of that. So I started Newest Media as like a similar thing to build a brand and everything, but now later in life, I want to go under my own name. So moving away from Newest Media, what was the decision between doing it from your guys' name to an alleged theater company? Or is that even a discussion you guys have? Um... Well, I mean, realistically, I think like with like film and like podcasting stuff, like with newest newest media, I think producing things under a solo name is an option. Producing theatrical productions, it's not really an option, especially because it's there's no way that it could be just one person doing it, kind of a thing. It's I think theater is much more collaborative, where there's so many people involved and. So it feels more like a company is doing it as opposed to like the podcast. It's you, you know, with films, you can easily do it with two, one, two people if need be. I think I think it just feels more like a company when it comes to theater. Yeah, I guess from like a creative standpoint, like the theater side of it is like one of the things I still am like trying to figure out and figure right. out how it works. Cause it is like a very interesting medium to potentially like pretty much do a video or a skit or a sketch or a movie or something like that live in the moment is such like a such a cool experience I think right and I think that's something that is kind of unique with my company alleged theater company we're in the process of uh you know hammering out our mission statement (laughs) but uh in a nutshell what it is is we kind of do immersive comedy where we treat the audience as an essential role and even like an essential character in the story of the play, meaning that some shows um, have audience participation, some shows acknowledge the audience directly, or some shows just really need... Like, there could be no story if the audience was not there watching us. And so I think it's... When compared to film and all those other mediums, there's no way that we could do the stuff that we do in a film. No, that's interesting that you say that because that was like the original mission of newest media is like bring a new form of entertainment that was very interactive. But yet, it's so much easier to do that in a live we have an audience in front of a setting. You know, trying to make a video that connects with an audience and have a discussion with an audience is, you know, pretty easy. But to have an interactive at the moment discussion is, yeah, you can't really do yep. it in a pre-filmed media. Right. And then we also, we like to incorporate um, improvisation into our shows too. And so that's really fun for the audience if they're watching. But if you're doing improv on film, no one's going to care. Like, they're not going to be able to feel the energy. From the shows I've been to, you guys very much feel like it's... um, Have you ever seen, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm? I know it. I haven't watched it, but yeah. Basically, the sense of there is a, like, a written out thing of what's supposed to happen there's no dialogue but it's just a written out not like a beat because i was just meant listen to an episode where jeff garland was like it's not written on a beat um but there's like a written out like each scene is written out to be like 
this is what happens. Like the plot structure. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And then you improvise the dialogue. That's what your plays kind of feel like, where there's just like, this is what's going to happen. How we get there is going to be kind of interesting. Right. And there's some, there's sometimes where that's kind of the case, but a lot of the times the way that we incorporate improv is we we write the scripts for these shows and Dylan and I are both or I was going to say Dylan and I are both incredible writers um, <laughs> Dylan is a great writer I'm a good writer we write the scripts of these shows really tight and we write it I think I think we do dialogue really well so it feels really improvisational and conversational and then what we do is we write in specific sections of the show for improv so it's like the scripted 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 and then there's a section that says okay improv happens from here to here and we there's the light yeah, the light came on <laughs> um and then we uh we allow the actors to improvise in that moment any way that they've they want would you like to go to more improv or is that something you guys aren't comfortable with or you're comfortable with but just not um, where you see your company going i don't think i see the company going that way um another thing is we both haven't done like formal improv training yet we're gonna start taking improv Dylan and i are gonna take improv classes starting in the fall so we would feel more comfortable doing long form improv like that i don't think that's something that we would want to do for the company because it's still not necessarily you can't control the story like all the plays that we do and performances have a strong story that we are wanted that we want to tell and we do the the improv bits in the shows add to the humor and the fun that the actors have with each other and the audience has watching the actors and if the audience is improvising with the actors and all that kind of stuff it's just fun and we enjoy doing it but it doesn't really usually help the um the story that we're trying to tell. No, I totally get that. And then you guys have a show coming up for Minnesota Friends. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Can yeah, you yeah. share more about that? I can. And while I am talking right now, I am looking up the actual dates and nice. yeah, always good stuff. to get some dates. We have a lot of people from Virginia, so uh, maybe we can have some people drive. Oh, good. Yeah, Virginia. You know, it's going to be really uh, Virginia. Be worth the Virginia drive. Uh, joke heavy show. <laughs> Taylor specifically to mm-hmm. Virginia, the state of Virginia. Yeah, well, the show is called Which Middle Name of Philip Seymour Hoffman Are You? Now I know what you're thinking. Philip Seymour Hoffman, he has... Dead. Yeah, he is dead. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, the whole show is a big tribute show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but what it is is we are... The show is basically about this fake... Fake because we created it for the show, but it's a... BuzzFeed style personality quiz called which middle name of Philip Seymour Hoffman are you and the answer to the quiz is always Seymour because he only has one middle name (laughs) Um, and the plot of the show is that one time while my friend Danilo was taking the quiz he got Seymour with an E at the end so it was misspelled and then we're spending the show trying to prove whether or not that's an option we do that by taking this quiz with audience members over and over and over and over and over and over for the full hour and so it's audi- it's a lot of audience participation it's really stupid it's uh, really silly there's going to be improv it's going to be a lot of yeah it's just going to be dumb which is fun it's always enjoyable uh, alright listeners if you'd like to connect with Jake or find out more about his upcoming show you can do so by heading to his Instagram at Jake Merva or by searching for an alleged theater company on Facebook and Instagram once again we will have all the links to those places in the description of the episode on our Podbean page alright this story is from CTV News Canada electric shock wristband claims to zap bad habits away Pavlok doesn't play nice 
Some might call it Fitbit's evil twin or the bad cop to Apple Watch's good cop. But what this wearable technology provides can be a bit shocking. Literally. First released by creator Manish Shati in 2014, users can zap themselves with the wristband or grant a friend access through a smartphone app to administer the shock remotely when caught in the act of what the user is trying to avoid, including smoking and eating too much. The wristband zap is no more than 450 volts. We are, are you an electrician? Am I? An, no, yeah. no, I'm oh, not. Oh, shit. Well, I brought you onto this episode because I thought you were a master oh. in electricity. Haha, uh, I was just so... pretending. I'm an actor. I am an electrician, yes. <laughs> to explain that shock, uh, the shock field like that of a static shot that comes from uh, rubbing your socks on the carpet and touching a doorknob. Have you ever done that in your life, Jake? I have, and when I when I read this article, I was reading it and I was like, oh my god, this is fucking brutal. And then I got to that line and I was like, that's nothing. I was like, oh that's shit, That's 450 okay. uh, volts for you. Uh, the basic science behind the device is called aversion therapy and dictates that repeated use of unpleasant stimulus, like an electric shock, in conjunction with a certain behavior will encourage the brain to form a negative connection to that behavior. According to psychology expert Kendra Sherry of VeryWellMind.com, aversion therapy tends to be successful while it is still under the direction of a therapist. But relapse rates are high. Once the individual is out in the real world and exposed to the stimuli without the presence of the aversion sensation, it is highly likely that they will return to the previous behavior patterns. Jake, in 2016, Satai appeared on the business pitch reality show Shark Tank and declined Kevin O'Leary's offer. If we traveled back in time and we were somehow able to get you to become a shark on the show, right. probably since we know what happens in the future, we could make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Would you make an offer to Satai to help endorse this product? <sighs> You know, I've been going back and forth on this a lot. I mean, I think I think if it's proven that it can work, I think I think maybe I, w- I would, and maybe it would think that it's a good thing to invest in. But I don't know, reading it, I just couldn't stop thinking about, like, shock therapy and, like, conversion therapy kind exactly, of thing. That's exactly what I thought of, yeah. And I was just like, that, and the whole time I was thinking, this is so fucked up. But then I was also like, but this is there. But I was, so I'm wondering if the difference that I need to figure out in my mind is, like, the difference between, you know, you volunteering to do it and you not volunteering to do it, obviously. Like yeah, the shock that, that's therapy actually kind a pretty thing. good point. I don't know. So I have I have a lot of weird mixed feelings about this thing. But if it's, if, I mean, if science proves that it can work for people who want it to work, you do it. Like, go for it. You invest in it. No, that's, that's actually like a good point that I didn't think of. Like I originally was like, the ethics behind this is so wrong because it is like shock parrot. Yeah. shock therapy but yeah if you're willing to do it i feel like the there's a, a potential benefit to it uh but i i don't know like i'm very yeah conflicted now that you brought up your opinion thanks a lot yeah. jake yeah. but like because i originally saw this as like there was this story that was released recently about how interrogations in the u.s often cause like false confessions just because like you're in this high pressure situation yeah. and the only way you feel to get out of that situation is to confess yeah it's a forced confession i think there was a Hul burton who was made to confess into killing his mother and then it found out that it was someone else and yeah. he went to jail for like 15 to 20 years but i think that's it's kind of similar to that in generally people People do not like uncomfortable situations, situations where you're in pain. People are very uncomfortable with pain, except right. the people who can be like, what do they call those people that can like just take pain? And they're just like, they don't or they find pleasure in pain it. or like, yeah, yeah. Or um, even like, yeah, find pleasure. There's like people who obviously uh, are fetishized uh, by pain. Ma- is it masochist? Is that a thing? I'll have to check that out later. And then, yeah, there are people who gain pleasure from pl- pain and then people who 
can't feel pain. Yeah. So they could like break their arm and not know about it. Yeah. But I feel like that, for that fucks me up every time I think that about does. that. That does. That's too. like the craziest I, thing. Because I have never broken a bone, knock on wood, and I pray I never do because I would <laughs> I'm so squeamish I wouldn't be able to handle it. But I'm like but if I couldn't feel it, maybe it'd be fine. Maybe if I was... maybe you have broken a bone and you just couldn't feel it. Oh, and it just fucking healed and yeah. I didn't even know about it? <laughs> it said Wolverine regenerated. Honestly, maybe. I, I am convinced that I might have broken my ankle uh, in high school on the day of a semi-formal okay. because I twisted it so bad and then I went to the semi-formal that night because I didn't want to tell my girlfriend at the time that I <laughs> did it. And then the next day, my ankle swole bigger than the size of my fist. Like it was, it was like, a, it was bigger than a softball. I was shocked. And I couldn't walk for a very long time. Yeah, I'll have to figure out what that's called because I know there's like a name for it and I know some people have it and they live Mm -hmm. a very miserable life. But anyways, yeah, it's like one of those things where people are very uncomfortable with pain. So like you're using pain, that uncomfortableness with pain as a device to kick a habit. And like as, um, what was her name? Kendra Cherry said, like once that stimulus and once that kind of pain goes away, that stimulus will often come back. It's kind of like, this is probably such a bad parallel but like an abusive relationship like you a lot of people will go back to that relationship knowing it's potentially bad for them well yes and that's that, that's what i was just gonna bring up too because it says later in the article that while a lot of the people that did it it was successful there were some people that as soon as like the week was over they went back to the thing they were trying to kick yeah i think and they went back biting their nails yeah like biting their nails they did it even harder like they did they would and it was just like yeah and that i feel, I feel like that is kind of like an abusive relationship you know it's bad for you and you quit it you're done then there's still that thing in you like the psychological yeah. attachment exactly to that still that is feeling. gonna that because that is your norm maybe you crave that and you need that at least while your mind still kind of thinks of it as the norm. No, that's like that good. I like that you brought it like it being a norm because when you think about people smoking or eating too much or being in a bad relationship or just being in a relationship in general, there's often a reason for that or biting your nails. Yeah. Like there's a reason why you're doing that. So now you're connecting you know, the subversion therapy is about connecting a bad feeling with that behavior, but then there's even a deeper behavior, like maybe you have anxiety and you bite your nails. Exactly. So, I mean, the real, and it's very like the the shock therapy thing for this is very much like a surface level solution where it's like, it's going to fix it for like a tiny bit, but the deep rooted issues are still going to be there in order to like, even like something with biting your nails, it's probably like an anxiety thing. So if you just get your body to stop biting your nails, it's still going to have the reason Yeah, you have to attack those deep reasons for yeah. why you're doing it and that's yeah that's a very good point this is like a very surface level solution to a problem and like that leads perfectly into my question on do you think people should be more responsible for their behaviors and not rely on products like this to try and make that process easier yes i'm not sure i necessarily agree with the wording of the question but the meaning behind the question yes yeah no totally like- um the wording being um should they be responsible for their behaviors i think is kind of tricky because like um for things like you know anxiety or even more extreme like you were talking about like an abusive relationship the person that would have the issues would be the person who's been abused they should not feel responsible for the behavior at all yeah that's you know it's it's just like a thing but i agree with the meaning of the question because i it is something that they need to address in their life they can't just find something to like push it away they need to like 
address the issue head on as opposed to just kind of find some small thing that's going to make them feel better. And I think like- I think people often look for that, you know, salvation quotations on that because it is like if you are in an abusive relationship and there's like an out, you're going to try and take that out. And it may not be the most productive out, which, you know, in this case with the Pavlock on it shocking you if you bite your nails or if you drink too much or smoke too much, like that's not the most productive out. But people are like, oh, this could be a potentially easy out. And maybe, and maybe I'm using that yeah. word easy wrong. And I mean, I think, I think it could be beneficial if it's, especially if you kind of have help where they can acknowledge the fact that this is a temporary out to get you out of the cycle. But then once you're out of the cycle, then you need to take another step. Kind of like a, like an AA 12 step program yeah. where there's like, cause that's like one of the things I always think about when people talk about, um, they're going to therapy and I'm like, well, what about the other therapies? Like there's so many different philosophies for therapy. Right and stuff that it shows that it works it shows that it doesn't for every single thing there's you know results either way so I feel like kind of yeah tackling it from multiple different angles is a lot better than trying to just say well this worked for some people so hopefully it works for me and then potentially when it doesn't you get deeper into that behavior because you're like well maybe I'm just a fucked up person who yeah. can't get to where I need to be. I, I agree with all of that. There's another thing in the story that I think is interesting that the way that it works or whatever is that you can like, ha- like someone can have the button. It can either be you that presses the button when you are doing something or you can have a friend doing it. And I don't know. I, I think that's just kind of fucked up. Like, I'm having a friend do it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get it if it's like, like you might not be able to recognize when you're doing the things that are wrong. But then it also puts it into a thing where it's like you are not the one deciding if your behavior is bad. Ooh, that's a very good point. Like you're not deciding what's right for you. Your friend, this outside force, is deciding what is acceptable in your life, and they're deciding they're deciding how you change as opposed to you deciding how you change. Kind of. A that's thing. actually a very good point because the first thing you I thought of when you said that was masturbation <laughs> on the fact that like you're a guy. We grew I, up. Yeah, I am. Have you yes. you masturbate? Right? I have. I, I, yes. I feel like this is like a good parallel to masturbation. Where where say sometimes you masturbate and you feel really bad about it because the pleasure is uh, such a draw that you don't often think of the repercussions, right? And <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been oh, in any of those situations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like you can like self-correct yourself. You're like, why did I do that? And you kind of question yourself after you orgasm because sure. you have like a very clear mind after you orgasm. Sure, right? sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, as we can as we can tell, Adam has a lot of uh, self pleasure things he needs to address. But <laughs> anytime I, I'm not recording a podcast, he's beating the meat. But anyways, like a lot of times growing up as a teenager, you're very horny and that's mm-hmm. out of control and it's hard to control. I mean, it's it's just, it's the same thing as smoking, just on a more easy to understand level. Like when you masturbate, there's a result of that masturbation that you know hopefully gives you pleasure where if you smoke you're going to get something hopefully pleasurable from that the comparison is like pretty much the same but just i think masturbation is a lot more easier to understand anyways and you try to check yourself but you're like i need to stop masturbating (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't be masturbating as much and this is a very natural conversation i shouldn't be masturbating as much and then you're like you know i need to stop and you start checking yourself and to you it may seem like you're not doing Mm -hmm. it as much but like to an outsider or a friend you're just like wow this guy's masturbating a lot but to you yeah it could be like hey I'm cool with it. But then also to that, 
to like say if you have your own shock device if you are guarding your own behaviors i feel like you'd probably be less likely to get to the point of my masturbation you'd be less likely to shock yourself because you would think it's more okay so say if you're like smoking or say if you're like excessively masturbating and you know you want to put on this pavlock wristwatch that shocks you you're going to be like well i can just smoke one cigarette and i'll be fine because i'm not smoking two cigarettes or i can masturbate for to this one video instead of masturbating the whole day so that's an improvement to you well i still i wonder like i I, because i feel like it would be better i don't know how this could happen but if it was like like if you're quitting smoking and you're like okay because it's i feel like that kind of like a thing like that should be kind of a gradual thing as opposed to you know yeah just cold yeah yeah that'll be yeah um so if it's like if you like smoke like five cigarettes a day and you're like okay i'm going to put on the shock collar and it's going to tell how many how much i smoke during the day i set it so that if i smoke more than four it will shock me yeah and you do that so to get to the point where you are no longer doing four and then you go to three three, three, yeah thing like that where it's like like that kind of thing where you're setting a limit yourself and it can tell that kind of i think think, yeah no i definitely i definitely get what you're saying i think that's you know definitely a good improvement on this because basically that was yeah i was trying to get to with my masturbation story but (laughs) naturally it's like super hard to stop cold turkey and then if you give this shock thing to a friend who first off you have to trust yeah because i know some friends would just do it throughout the day i'd do it yeah (laughs) i'm not not gonna give it to you you (laughs) if i have a masturbation issue i'm not giving my shock collar to jake uh but i don't have a masturbation issue (laughs) <laughs> I want to make that very clear. He'll, he'll address it on another episode. But you have to have like a trustworthy friendship to yep. be able to provide that. And going to what you say, like then your friend is deciding your behavior and you're not deciding your behavior. Mm-hmm. But I think if you set guidelines, like I think it could be like I wouldn't invest in this if I was on Shark Tank. But I think it could be beneficial if before like you have to set up guidelines like gradual guidelines yeah. i think that was a very good point yeah i think that would be a really good idea too but anyways jake speaking of some radically cool friends that you may or not be able to trust with a shock bracelet there's a few radical people with some radical beliefs on the internet that you might be curious to know how they think what a segue uh this is from pocket popular science people with extreme political views have trouble thinking about their own thinking researchers at university of college london ucl have published a new study that offers some insight into the characteristics of those who hold extreme beliefs and their ability to evaluate whether or not they might be wrong steve fleming a cognitive neuroscientist at ucl states it has been known for some time now that in studies of people holding radical beliefs that they tend to express higher confidence in their beliefs than others but it is unknown whether this was just a general sense of confidence in everything they believe or whether it was a reflective of a change in metacognition metacognition is the awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes to complete the study fleming and his colleagues gave participants a question that had an objective answer rather than one rooted in personal values the study took two different groups of people 381 in the first sample and 417 on the second sample to try and replicate results. That's what the second group was for, to replicate results. After taking a survey that tested how conservative or liberal their political beliefs were, participants were given a test in which they looked at two different clusters of dots and quickly identified which group had more dots and then rated how confidently they were in their choice. People with radical beliefs from either spectrum completed the exercise with similar accuracy as moderate participants, but were more likely to trust their opinion that one side has more dots, even if incorrect, than to question whether they might have 
gotten it wrong. After finding similar results in their second grouping, Fleming and his colleagues suggested that metacognition of radicals can possibly, possibly is a key word there, play a part in not allowing those individuals to question their own ideas the same way an individual who might be more moderate can. However, Fleming does state it is not currently known whether radical beliefs help shape metacognition or metacognition help shape radical beliefs. His team goes on to state in their research, widening polarization about political, religious, and scientific issues threatens open societies, leading to entrenchment of beliefs, reduced mutual understanding, and a pervasive negative surrounding the very idea of consensus. Understanding the role that metacognition plays in the polarization may help us step back from it. Jake, in your opinion, why do you believe it can be hard for some people to separate feelings and logical thought? Uh, <laughs> man, that's a big question. Um, I think it's just like depending on how personal of an issue it is. Like if you have a more personal connection to the topic, it's harder to think logically about it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. And as someone like I'm very interested in the subconscious mind and how that works and how that behavior is shaped by what we are. And I think that radical behavior is can be stored in the subconscious. I don't want to use any absolutes here, but can be stored in the subconscious. So when someone questions who you are or who your beliefs are, like subconsciously, you're going to be like, well, I'm right. So it's going to come out as I'm right. And you don't really question. I think people with radical beliefs are so entrenched as the research, you know, states at the end there are so entrenched in their beliefs because it's a case of you throw out subconsciously you believe one thing. And when you react, that subconscious is pushing out that belief without you even thinking about it, because I think it makes more sense to it obviously makes more sense to be right than to be wrong so you surround yourself and i've talked about this in previous episodes about you surrounding yourself with love people follow love they go to where they feel that they fit in best in the community Mm because as humans we're not solo beings we're very social beings so i feel like people follow love and oftentimes when you have someone with radical beliefs they often surround themselves with other people of radical beliefs so you're either for you're furthering entrenching that subconscious belief that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. So it's become like when you have a personal issue you're very passionate about, it can become very hard to look at the issue and say that you're wrong because subconsciously you believe you're right and it makes more sense to be right than to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, this whole article, I had never really thought about the connection between these things before reading this and it's really interesting and I feel like I'm still trying to process all the information from it. I was doing my research last night and I was like, throughout the day today I was just thinking about the story and like I never yeah you never think about someone being a radical because of how cognitive their decisions are if that makes sense like the metacognition of you are so confident in what you're once again this is from my opinion saying the subconscious is responsible for some of this but you're so confident in what you have entrenched in your subconscious that you don't even question yourself I think it's one of the things where people like people respond better to love that's why people follow love so when you have a radical and you say well this is the evidence on why you're wrong they're more likely to be like nah fuck you man this is like and it's interesting that you're saying that um that like you know it's easier to follow love and stuff because i feel like a lot of radical people on either side of issues they in in my experience seem more likely to react with hate towards the other side as opposed to well i don't maybe more explain as love in a subconscious way like you think about um the unabomber he isolated himself because he didn't feel like he fit in with society the thing is there's probably people just like him 
who want that connection with someone else to feel the same mm-hmm. way. Like there's tons of people that are like, I just want to isolate myself from society. That That's what I mean more by following love is like if the Unabomber had someone who thought the same way he did in a very radical way. Like if you find someone who thinks the same way you do and mm-hmm. has the same beliefs as you do, you're more likely to go towards that direction yeah. if that makes more sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I want to ask you this from the whole radical point of it. When we get to a point of someone who has radical beliefs, do you think it's worth to try and find a connection with them or do you see it as a lost hope or a lost um, cause? It's really tough because I feel like I feel like it really depends on the issue. I feel like in general, it's good to try to find a middle ground because that's in that's really the only way that you can I guess like gather more support for your belief. Like the only way that you can like change someone's opinion is by finding a middle ground and then like making them feel accepted too or accepted and understood and stuff but then I feel like there's certain issues where it's like no like there's no point because there is no middle ground like I mean for like like racism like if someone's like someone is extremely racist and you're just you're not there's no middle ground it's very yeah like when there's a black and white issue kind of like that then it's it's like you can't meet in the middle because the middle is still wrong you know what I mean oh interesting let me process that for a second. Say that one more time. Like you can't meet in the middle, like with like with racism and stuff. Like you yeah. can't meet in the middle because the middle is still wrong. Like it's still on the wrong side of the issue. That is a very good quote. That should be your quote on your obituary. <laughs> but then, like, but then it's also like, where is the line drawn for issue? You know, there's racism. Like, like I was talking about. But then, like, um, like something else that's been happening in the country. You know, like a lot of the like abortion stuff. Classic, classic two straight white guys talking about abortion. <laughs> um, you know, like. I'm very, you know, pro-choice and all that kind of stuff, but, like, I don't know if you can necessarily, especially, like, the people who are, like, against it for religious reasons, like, I don't know if you can, like, explain it to them as a very, in their minds, it's never going to be a black and white issue like that. Like, it's very, like... They just see it as, to the story, they see it as, I'm right, and you can't convince me otherwise. Exactly, and, like, like, you just can't, like, finding middle ground, you'll never be able to find middle ground because they believe they're on the right side of history. I mean, I guess it's the same as racism. They believe they're on the right side of history, but they're objectively not. But then it's like, I mean, I guess that's me pushing, uh, that's a very political statement, but I stand by it. But like, I guess like, like racism, like now I think, you know, in history, it's accepted that not being racist is the correct side of history, mm-hmm. you know, things yeah. like that. But then it's like, how was that decision made? It's the right decision, but then how, when, when well, was it? You know, Going that, to what you're saying, who says that's the right decision? Yeah. Like who, like who decides that it's right? I mean, is that humanity as a whole that says... Obviously, not the whole of humanity, because there's people that say, I don't like you because right. of the color of but your But then skin. realistically, what it is, is that it's the general public. The, like, it's the public ultimately decides that it's right, and then that gathers the most support, and then people begin to understand. I mean, if, I feel like those issues are more, it's obvious, which is right. But it's, but like, if you went back, like, hundreds of years, and then more public support was gathered for the opposite side of one of these issues, now, hundreds of years in the future, would it be the opposite? Like, would we be like, would this fucking racist wants us all to be equal fuck that guy <laughs> like this guy is crazy I do, like, do, do you know what I'm saying though I do I do think it is a very natural human behavior to want to be better because that's just us as far as evolution that I talk about a lot the theory of evolution is you want the best possible traits to move forward and I think a lot of 
and I'm, you know, nowhere near a racist. I nowhere near say I can relate to what they think, but just from a behavior and really looking at why they do what they do, I think it's a case of I think I'm better than you because of the color of my skin. And when going back to who makes that decision on who is equal and who isn't, yes, it makes sense to us as humans to be like, why can't we all be equal? Like, what does it matter? But this is going to be a very weird but. When you look at animals, like take my favorite animal, for example, hyenas, they have a matriarchal um, hierarchy where the females are in charge and even the lowest ranking female is higher rank than the male. So they're basically saying females are better than males. And that's been through their evolution for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So, I mean, they're animals. They don't make those decisions. Those are just natural instinct decisions. So as humans, we are making the decision to say, for the hyena example, women and men are equal. But who knows if that's not part of our human behavior? I firmly believe everyone is equal, no matter their sex, gender, skin, background, whatever. This is actually a gotcha podcast on you. (laughs) You're going down. I'm going down. I'm firing myself. Cancel myself. But I do believe it's interesting that we chose this path that we're on. Well, and it's interesting because I feel like... Knowing what animals do. I'm just like, because I have a background in animals and that's where this is coming from. Right. And I feel like looking back on all these movements like that, you know, the civil rights movement and like, um, like abolition and all that kind of stuff. Now looking back it's like that's the right side we're on the right side of history yeah mm-hmm. we did the right thing mm-hmm. but what if what if like I'm just wondering like what if one of those moments what if those moments in history was like but what if we didn't or like what if we made what if the opposite decision was made mm-hmm. like what if in like the 1920s it was decided women cannot vote and that's just how it is and the public was like yes obviously that's right yeah. and like looking back on it now would be because we made because that's how we how society has been like if the general public was like that's right would we look at it and it was it was wrong decision does that make sense you know what I mean no I totally I totally totally get what you're saying I'm just I'm hoping I'm not saying anything (laughs) bad I'm trying to process all these thoughts no I I like that you're being very honest and this is like one of the things I really wanted with this episode is to get deep with (laughs) to get deep with you Mm -hmm. after after the masturbation talk for at least 10 minutes Because I think it's very, I think you have like an amazing opinion on the world and I really wanted to open that up and really get to the depths of it. And I think you're doing an amazing job and really sharing what you believe in. But no, I totally, I totally get what you're saying and what you're saying is making sense. I think, I don't know, it's just, I'm so landlocked on the decision on, you know, I'm agnostic. I believe Mm -hmm. there's something bigger out there, but I don't know if it's been explained yet. So is that bigger thing out there, did that, create us or did that choose our behavior choose the way we think obviously we know the big bang started the world or started the universe but it's like who yeah who decides those behaviors because yeah if we you know men are a more dominant species biologically than females so maybe the creator of all of this or who's ever the big bad or the big good i guess <laughs> i guess it'd be the big good who's ever the big good was like hey i made men stronger than females for a reason they're not supposed to be equal then we would be wrong but to us obviously we're like yeah it makes perfect sense why a man and a woman should be equal but maybe the bigger picture is we're not And that's where, you know, when we get to radical beliefs and people being very structured in their beliefs on, I think, 
we started this question from like, are they a lost cause or not? I do believe they're a lost cause. I believe as someone is so entrenched in an idea that categorically we know it's not right to us. And I think that's the whole structure I want to get to is if we know something is wrong, it doesn't matter what it's supposed to be. Yeah. If it doesn't feel right to us, and I think that's what helps humans not run into like a hyena situation where women are better than males is our, I don't know if you believe in souls or not, but to me, I believe our souls guide our feelings. So I know it's wrong that a black man gets treated differently than a white man. Like I know that situation in Phoenix, for example, was wrong because I know we should be treated equally and I know we should be treated with respect. But society says a radical is wrong because I could be wrong to a radical. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I just think we need to follow the feelings of what's right. But then I'm contradicting myself by saying a radical would believe being a racist, for example, is right. This is, I'm still like just come perplexed I mean, by it's this a tough, story. It's a tough mm -hmm. question. I don't know. But I do, I do think, I do think there are lost causes when it comes to radicals. But I do think there are things we can find middle ground on. And I think, you know, going back to what I said from the previous question is I think we need to lead with love rather than evidence. Like the flatter society. Obviously, I mean, fuck. <laughs> obviously the world is round. I'm sorry. I mean, obviously the world is flat, Jake. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for getting on the same page. But if you say if you say someone or if you look someone and say you're wrong, I'm not even going to listen to what you say. I know for a fact you're wrong. I know I've seen the globe. I've seen the yeah. earth from space you are wrong yeah they're gonna be like no fuck you exactly and yeah. they're gonna get more entrenched into believing and that's why i think the flatter society has grown to what it's grown to today i feel like it was kind of a joke at the beginning and people are like nah dude f you and then now people are like no no f you but i think we need to lead with a more compassionate approach to these conversations where it may look black and white but there's just a sliver of gray in there a good example i could use is climate change Obviously, scientists, people who have spent their entire lives to this one thing, say our world is going to crap if we don't do anything. But what gets more attention? That or a turtle with a straw in its nose. That's true. Because that appeals to our emotions. That appeals yeah. to what I'm basing off of our emotions on our soul. And that's what guides us through life. So I feel like if we lead these conversations with a more emotional approach, I feel like we can really take these black and white issues and really find some middle ground yeah i mean because that's how you appeal to or that's how you get people to agree with you is by appealing to their emotions to kind of end this story here jake i want to ask you this question where do we go from from here is it possible to live in a world with without radical ideas i don't think so i think a world without radical ideas would be a world that only had one view on everything oh shit that's a good point and that that's even scarier than having radical views not having the choice to choose. So you would say, actually, I don't want to say it like that because I'm putting words in your mouth. So how would you view a utopian society? Because I would imagine a utopian society has one belief, right? Or am I wrong in that? I guess I've never thought about that. Yeah, well, because I think ideally a utopia would, because a utopia would have no issues. They would have no like challenges like that. So it would have one view. But I think if there's only one view, people would feel like they don't get to have a decision. So then I'm wondering if there's even, if the idea of a utopia is even something that could ever be achieved because I don't know if yeah now, now that I'm thinking about it it would pretty much be impossible because I feel like yeah there will always be people with different viewpoints mm -hmm. and, and that's always going to create conflict yeah 
Exactly. That's a very good point. Yeah, so no utopian society. That's what we got from mm-hmm. this story. Fuck a utopia. <laughs> but I think it is important that to my final words on this story, and I'll let you have your final words, is just lead more with love and compassion, but that doesn't mean you need to give away your morals. Like, yeah. just because you want to have a compassionate, productive conversation with a racist doesn't mean you have to change what you believe in. Stand by what you believe in, but lead with compassion. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say, too, about, like, find middle ground where middle ground can be found. Where you are comfortable. But don't but don't change who you are and who and what you inherently believe or inher- what you know is right. Uh, Jake, thank you for taking the time to come back and share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news story the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. Hell yeah. Once again, listeners, you can connect with Jake through his Instagram at Jake Merva or support his theater efforts and follow along with this company, Alleged Theater Company, on Facebook and Instagram to support his upcoming show titled... Which middle name of Philip Seymour Hoffman are you? Do you have those dates? I do. Um, Of the Minnesota Fringe Festival. So the show is in the Minnesota Fringe. Uh, We will be at the... Ritz Theater Studio. Not the Ritz-Carlton. Not the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> um, and our performances are August 3rd at 2.30 p.m., August 4th at 8.30 p.m., August 7th at 5.30 p.m., August 9th at 10 p.m., and August 10th at 7 p.m. Awesome. And you can probably find more of that information on, on all of our social media. Theater Company social media, Facebook, Instagram. Do you guys have a Twitter? We do. We don't use it. Um, you can check out our website, which is allegedtheater.com. There it Sign is. up for Let our newsletter. Uh, Jake, you were challenged by Chris Bales to a podcast episode ratings battle. I don't know if you've remembered this. Uh, having the opportunity to hopefully listen to both Chris and Annie's episode, do you believe your episode will go down as the fan favorite? Um, are we talking about ratings or in like response? Because I think I'm for sure going to be the best. This is the, the best episode. What the fans what episode the fans enjoy more. I'm not doing it yes. off of download numbers. Great. Yeah, it's me. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> 100%. I have a podcast with Chris, so I know what it's like to talk to Chris, and boy, oh boy, what a, <laughs> what a, what a, what a fucking challenge that is, huh? I do, I, I did really enjoy this episode to have these conversations and to dive a little deeper into our opinions. Good. I, w- I won't throw out whose I like better. It's, uh, you can say it's me. Chris was, <laughs> just you motherfucker. No, but I did I did very much value the conversation we had and I was like, oh shit. Because I feel like we've never had a deep conversation. Mm-hmm. So to be able to sit down in front we of We had mics, a deep conversation one time at um, two years ago at Blue Door. It was after the 48. Do you oh, remember shit. that? I, I, I think remember, I remember we were, this. I remember we were sitting at the window. Yeah. And I remember we had a really in-depth talk. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember we I think we, we talked about um, where our lives were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the discussion. So this is convo number two. Convo number <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, and as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Jake, where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Jake, you have been here before. I will give the floor to you. Is this like plugging me or is this like being fun? Whatever whatever you feel is necessary to end this episode. Beepity boppity boopity. Let's go get that schmoopity. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys. We'll be back for, I don't know when. We'll, uh, our next episode will be around Independence Day. I'm still trying to figure out what the best day will be, but we will hopefully be back in two weeks from now. But until then... 
Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the correction portion of this episode. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Jake Merva. Uh, thank you for the few responses we got from our last episode about corrections. I'm glad uh, it can be used as something to hold myself responsible for providing the correct information. And I'm also just really glad it resonated well with those who reached out. And I'm sure those who didn't reach out as well, I hope it did what it needed to do. But to this episode, we we, we were actually on point, uh, barely any corrections to be heard because that's just how we do in our first story i talked about the weight of a head being about 10 pounds i wasn't confident in that answer so i just wanted to double check the weight of a head is about 10 to 11 pounds so i'm not gonna say it but maybe i will suck it i was boom point on with that one and then on average the human brain weighs about three pounds so that's a fun little party fact for you there if you're going to a party just throw that fact out there tell them where you got it from but throw that fact out there and then for all the men out there who may be worried about your laptop causing infertility like myself according to researchers at the state university of new york at stony brook there is a direct correlation between laptop use and increased scrotal temperature in fact hot laptops have been found to increase the temperature of scrotums up to 35 degrees above the normal body temperature this increase has a well-documented harmful effect on sperm production which may lead to infertility but but here we always like our butts here but the researchers say you should use common sense and not put an overheating laptop on your lap for extended periods of time and to this is not the researchers quote it's more my quote not be stupid stupid and then I also mentioned in that story about the happiness chemical dopamine, the three other chemicals responsible for happiness are serotonin, endorphins, and oxytocin. And then finally, Jake mentioned that the internet was invented in the 80s or 90s, just to be a bit more clear about that. The internet was invented in 1983 and was formally brought up to what we know today as the World Wide Web in 19. 90. So those are the corrections for that first story. On to our second story, and our second story dealing with aversion therapy, I mentioned how many interrogation methods often produce false confessions. That research was produced by Saul Casson, who is a psychologist at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. In regards to the Hugh Burton case I mentioned, who in 1991 was convicted of killing his mother in a crime he did not commit because of his forced confession. If you guys are looking for like something that really shows forced confessions, that when they see Netflix documentary about those New York Five kids who were convicted of rape that when they see us kind of dramatization limited series on Netflix is a good look into forced confessions. And then finally to wrap up the corrections of this second story, people who do not feel pain have a congenital insensitivity to pain and people who gain pleasure from pain are called masochist, which I believe Jake had mentioned in that story. So that is a wrap on our corrections for story number two. And then finally to story number three, the only only one correction, that's that's how on point we were with this episode, only one correction. The only correction in that story was to correct that hyenas, which by the way, look into hyenas guys, look into hyenas, they're such freaking 
cool animals. They're so much more impressive than what media has made them out to be. Just look at hyenas. They're so freaking cool. But anyways, hyenas have been on Earth for about 10 million years instead of the hundreds of thousands I had mentioned. So once again, guys, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. What a pleasure it is to have our new Australian audience and to share and be a part of this conversation. Obviously, we welcome you guys with open arms. But regardless, hope you guys were able to enjoy this wonderful episode with Jake Merva. Once again, check out his theater company and a legend theater company, uh, allegedtheatercompany.com. Him and his creative partner, Danella Luchko, are putting out some fabulous plays that you should definitely, if you're in Minnesota for Fringe Festival, check them out. But anyways, that's your correction. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. <laughs>